You're listening to the Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference podcast. The 10th annual Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at the Royal Irish Academy on the 19th and 20th of August 2022. The conference was generously supported by the Royal Irish Academy and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the conference was recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media in association with History Hub. You can access the archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. In this episode, a recording of a paper by independent scholar John Kelly entitled The Final Journey of the Effigy of Robert Harpool, Constable of Carlow Castle. Robert Harpool, Constable of Carlow died in October 1594 at his home in Shrewl Castle in Queen's County, a short journey over the River Barrow uh, from Carlow Town. He's probably best known as being one of the infamous participants in the massacre of the old Moors and their Confederates at Mullamast in 1577-78. But Harpole arrived in Ireland about 1549 when he was 35 years old and in December 1556 he was identified as a suitable settler for the lands in Leash in the act of Philip and Mary. His reputation as a reliable soldier appears well established at this point and both he and Nicholas Malby are referred to as Malby and Hartpole, two gentlemen that conserved by uh, Sydney. He had a lifelong antipathy towards the Amours, particularly Rory Og, which may stem from uh, Hartpole's uh, service as deputy constable in Lachlan Bridge um, when, when Colonel Og O'Moore and Morris Kavanagh were executed and hung in chains from the bridge of the River Barrow in 1557. Harpole was a Kentish man, held in high regard by Sir Henry Sidney, who praised the service of a faithful countryman of mine, a Kentish man, I mean Robert Harpole, an inveterate soldier of that country. But he was a thorn in Fitzwilliam's side, being reprimanded on a number of occasions by Fitzwilliam. By the time of his death, he was a wealthy landowner with huge holdings in both Queen's County and Carlow. Perhaps for boarding his death, the 80-year-old Robert Harpole drafted a will on the 12th of September 1594. The original of the will appears to have disappeared at an early date. Vickers' Index of Prerogative Wills records only a copy existing in 1897, but this was likely lost in the Civil War catastrophe. However, we're indebted to the work of antiquarians such as Lord Walter Fitzgerald of Kilkee Castle and Colonel Philip Vigers of Bagnestown for researching, publishing and saving family and local histories, particularly in the Journal of the County Kildare Archaeological Society and the Journal of the Association for the Preservation of the Memorials of the Day. There's a mouthful. Um, in his will, Hardpole leaves possessions to, his three, to three, his three sons, William, George and Pierce. The Queen's County Inquisition mentions two other sons, James and Henry, as living in 1579, but they may have died by the time the will was made. No daughters are named, but he makes reference to John Hovenden, his son-in-law, who he says he left, he left them three score pounds lawful money of Ireland to Hovenden to pay such arrears as he is beholden to Her Majesty in the time of the country was at waste in the rebellion of the Amours. So he was paying his taxes uh, after, after his death, um, looking after himself and his mortal soul, I presume. Interestingly, and very connected with our talk here yesterday, he appointed his wife, Grania, as his executor, executor, executrix. She was a member of the Coltaman Sept of the O'Burns, originally based in Tullow, but in Harpole's time, very much associated with Tin Ryland, just to the east of Carlow Town. 
Her brother, Owen Dowley O'Byrne, is described in the papers as a sergeant, but he was also described by uh, some of the native Irish as being a common extortioner in a complaint uh, made against Harpole and Harpole's band in 1571. The will was witnessed by uh, Hovenden, David Lee, Pierce White, the Vicar of Carlow, and Robert Bone of Bally Adams. Um, Bone, Hovenden, they, they would have all remained Catholic as well, like the Harpoles. The Harpoles, um, I think, for three generations, they remained Catholic. Um, so Harpole's will stipulated that he was to be laid to rest in the Church of the Blessed Lady, the Virgin Mary in Carlow. This was the parish church of Carlow, which in 1484 was associated with Mary, St. Mary's Abbey in Dublin. And there's another story about that I might drop into at some stage during the talk. Harpole, in common with a number of the Leash settlers, remained Catholic. The papist tag was also, could also be applied to his son and his grandson. The family are only definitively recorded as Protestant in the Down survey, where the then Sir Robert is described as Protestant in both 1641 and, and 1670. Uh, Harpole was placed in a table tomb with an effigy of a slab which was beveled along one side and two ends. This would indicate that the non-beveled side was pushed up against the wall and therefore the tomb was likely actually located on a wall either outside or in the chancel of the church, as, as you requested. This uh, uh, illustration is from the memoirs of the family Grace, who were another Catholic family who survived as Catholics um, up, to, up to, I think, at least the, the 19th century. Um, uh, and it's by John Hewitson, and it's, an eff- it's, a, it's a lithograph of the effigy. When I show you the effigy later on, you'll understand this was either done by an oral description or, 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 or in some way he definitely did not see the, the, the tomb um, and you can see that, that the quality of penmanship wouldn't be great in it the slab, the, the effigy was, was, a, was a, a knight in plate armour with his head resting on a round helmet the feet were supported by a dog the, his hands lay on his chest fingers joined in prayer a sword was attached to a belt around the waist on the left hand side of the effigy an inscription was carved and you can see it on the, on the side of it there uh, in the right hand side of the tomb Hic Jacque Robertus Harpole, Constabularis de Carlock, uh, Septuagenario Mayor, Interdit uh, III de Octoberus 1594. Really apologise for my, my pig Latin. Um, <laughs> but anyway, thank God for Lord Walter Fitzgerald again. He translated it and it says Here lies Robert Harpole, uh, Constable of Carlo. He died on the 3rd day of October 1594, being more than a septuagenarian. So it implies that he was over 80 years of age when he died, which was a, a very good uh, age for, I suppose, for somebody at that stage, and particularly for somebody who was very martially inclined and was involved in an awful lot of uh, uh, battles. By the 1630s, uh, the, the churches in Ireland were, were described as being in a deplorable condition. The cathedrals were in many places destroyed, the parish churches unroofed, ruined or unrepaired, the houses left desolate during the wars and confusion of former times. And in common with other churches in Ireland, the same thing happened to the parish church in Carlow. This, this is the map of, of Castle, what's called Castle Hill now in Carlow. Um, and you can see uh, in the top right-hand corner with the arrow is the, the present St. Mary's Church of Ireland, which is, is, is on a hill above the, the town. But when we come down where it's Coal Market and Castle Street, there you see them. Uh, the, the, the upper one is the graveyard, which is the graveyard of the old church. And the, on the bottom left-hand side is the castle. So you can see how close that graveyard was to the castle. And what you have to remember is that that castle, castle hill didn't, didn't exist. Carlow Castle is on, a, on a, a very high 
uh, granite slab, and that ran the whole way over to the River Barrow. So this was all level at, at that time in, in the 1500s. But during the tumult and mayhem caused by the 1641 rebellion in Carlow, the proximity of the church to the castle put in the firing line and the rebels laid siege to the church. And uh, the depositions say, pickaxes and sledges broke down part of the church wall. The church may also have been further damaged, further worsened during Arton's siege, his one-day siege of Carlow Castle on the 22nd of July, 1650, where the parliamentary bombardment um, uh, could have damaged it more. So at that stage, the church was, was obviously in very poor condition. And in 1669, a vestry book entry dated the 12th of July records the commencement of the building of a new church and the old parish church soon turned into, into disrepair. Presumably, a lot of its stone was robbed. And in the public mind in the 19th century, perhaps driven by the, uh, a need to connect with the past, its memory morphed into being called St. Mary's Abbey. So the, the, the parish church was suddenly called an abbey, which was never recorded anywhere in Carlow, and it persists up to this day in, in, some, in some areas. Um, and the graveyard must also be abandoned at this time as a new cemetery was granted during the reign of James I for a burial of Catholics in the town of Carlow. Harpo's effigy, though, was rediscovered in 1809 when workers created a new road cut through and cut through a portion of the, of the graveyard. So this is Castle, Castle Hill here. So that... That street would have been uh, put through before Harpole was found, but when they were expanding it then to build houses, they came across the effigy. Uh, Elizabeth Coldy Ledbetter wrote that she, she witnessed, she said the effigy was almost seven feet long, uh, described the effigy. She says, I went along to see it with some other young people, but could not see it satisfactorily. The crowd was so great that it lies exposed where it was found for anyone to look at. I wonder the man who discovered it did not bring it home or make something of showing it there. It was no more than five feet below the surface. Speculation about who the figure was 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 uh, was rife, uh, but eventually somebody who was described as um, an old friar pronounced it to be effigy of Robert, Robert Harpole and pointed out the Latin inscription. The knowledge of the effigy obviously stored uh, memories, particularly uh, for people on the leash side of the river who would consider themselves um, uh, very much aligned with the Amours, and they attacked the effigy, damaged it badly, took... Uh, the head was knocked off, thrown in the river barrow. Local landlord, Colonel Brune of Oak Park, quickly took charge of the artefact, paid the guys who threw the, threw the head in the barrow to take it back and, and brought it all to his demence uh, in Oak Park, where it was held as a garden monument. Damaging effigies was, wasn't unusual. In uh, 1829, the effigies of, the, of uh, Elizabeth Hartpole and John Bone were damaged by, after a white by funeral in uh, Bally Adams in, in Leash. So... What we have here is what was found, was found in 1805 by Canon French, who was a local antiquarian, which is one of the weepers from, from, the, from, the, um, from, from, from the effigy. The effigy itself had been sent to uh, Kilnacourt House, uh, one of the descendants of the Harpoles, uh, Harpole Bone over there, uh, and it was, it was in the, the, used as a garden monument there. But this was discovered in Oak Park in, in 1905, which is the weeper. At that stage also, there was sort of an interest uh, from some of the local uh, historians. P.D. Vigers, who was very well known from the Memorials of the Dead, had located the tomb in Kilna Courthouse and he hoped to have it restored in his, his proper place. He also got a copy of the Grace Engraving at the time and he got a letter from Alice Harport Bone who confirmed the head had been kept in the garden house in Kilna Court but she didn't know its present location. So, 
What happened then was in the latter part of the 20th century, due to a change of ownership in Kilner Courthouse, the effigy was first moved to the front of the house and then located in the council yard. Uh, it eventually ended up in the People's Park in Port Arlington. While the relocation of the effigy seemed to be a good idea at the time, but ultimately proved to be detrimental. The effigy had no historical connection with Port Arlington, therefore very little interest, local interest. Also, the site where it was located... Um, as you can see here, was very was not uh, suitable. The effigy was damaged. Paint was on it. You can see in the top right hand corner there, part of the inscription was broken off. And on the left hand side, we see some merry merry revelers um, having a cider party on it as well. So when, while um, researching Robert Arpole, I started looking into this. Um, and as part of that, I was invited by the Leash Heritage Society to come over and speak about Robert Arpole. And I brought up very sensitively the issue of the effigy, and I found it huge support. Really, people who were in the heritage area in, in Leash realised this was not a Leash uh, monument, it should be back in Carlow. So at that stage, and uh, supported by the Carlow Historical and Archaeological Society, we formally approached Carlow County Council to raise the issue. It resulted in a meeting in 2019 between Carlow County Museum, members of Leash County Council, Leash Heritage Office, National Monument Service and the National Museum of Ireland. And following discussions of all the options, it was eventually agreed that the effigy should be conserved and relocated to the Carlow County Museum, which is a designated museum for the display of archaeological finds associated with County Carlow. Before moving it, a number of uh, conservation measures were taken. The effigy is, is split across the width in two pieces, probably due to a weakness in the natural stone. And it might have happened just after its finding because the... Uh, the RSAI had a reference which said it was transported in two pieces to Port Arlington. Small fissures were also injected, you can see on the bottom left-hand side, with the acrylic resin. Biological growths staining from paint and graffiti and were all treated before moving the effigy, and it was steam-cleaned in situ. The effigy was uh, transported to Carlo in two pieces, the larger weighing, weighing 500 kilograms under Garda Escort on the 15th of October, 2021. This is this is um, sort of the, the, some of the some of the the features on the the, the effigy. The the helmet is a cassabit type helmet and very similar to helmets in Derek's uh, illustrations. The belt, sword, and armor remain well defined, uh, and the dog, which is also headless, you can see him here in the middle. Um, the breastplate may be a late peace cod type, and in particular the sword, which is a British design and maybe a proto mortuary type sword, and it's unusual that it has a basket-shaped handguard, um, which is, which if you look at Derek's uh, pictures, they all had the cross guards. So it, it is, and it sort of indicates that the armour and that, that it's a, transi it's a transitionary period in, in, in military dress and, and, and armour as well. That it's moving really into the early modern period. Finally, who made or carved the, carved the effigy and um, Amy's down the back here. We've had lots of discussions about this. Um, while referred to as black marble in sources, the effigy is actually carved in grey limestone, which is when it's polished up. looks exactly like black marble. It's a local stone used in the Ormond effigies in the Kilkenny area. I was lucky to participate in, in a meeting uh, there a, few, a few weeks ago, and it was agreed from everybody there that the stone was almost certainly from the old Lachlan Paulstown area, where quarrying is still carried on today. John Hunt... Interestingly, noted that the Ormond effigies generally had their hands on their ties, whereas Dublin effigies had hands joined in prayer, which is the pose of the now handless harpole. Um, apart from that, and the usual, unusual dimensions of the effigy, I don't know if you've seen the effigies. This effigy is huge. The, 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 the chest is, is 
very big. I've never seen, I don't know if any, anyone has ever seen an effigy. Have you ever seen one, Amy, as big as that? It's, it's very unusual in, in, in its, its proportions. Yeah. So, so it, it's, really, it's really interesting. It's very unique in that way. Um, I, I would think that uh, the Lord Mount Garrett uh, effigy in St. Canisius has some, some similarities. It has a very smooth breastplate, very similar in terms of the, the, the skirt on it there. The dog is very similar, very similar. So we're looking at who, who would have carved it. Um, I know that, um, that um, Amy's view would be that it was probably an Otoni blank that was that was um, brought up. And that may account for the size of it as well, because I'd imagine the blanks would have been much bigger to allow them to be carved down. Um, and possibly, which may be to be looked at, because the, the, the hands are on, on, the, on the breast, that it may have been done by a, a, an altier from the Dublin school, which is what they did. They, 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 their, their effigies had a hands on the chest. So just very finally now. So what happens to the things when they came to Carlo? Um, yep, yeah, that's fine. Just, oh, sorry, just going back a little bit. The remaining weeper, which is, you can see it here on the left, and it's actually, it's been cleaned. It looks really well. You can see the, the, all the, the armour and that on it. it it's, it's a little bit similar in style to the Tony tomb of Piers Butler in, in Kilcooley, in that the size of the, the weeper, the weepers normally are back. They might be, either, they might be just uh, slightly raised off, the, off, the, off the, the plaster. But these weepers are they're like statues of themselves standing out. So that's something maybe to explore in the, in the future. Um, and, and that really is, is um, this is the, 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 the effigy in situ in Carlow County Museum at the moment, um, and this is the, the weeper on the left-hand side. They hoped originally that they were going to try to reconstruct the tomb in, star, uh, uh, in concrete and then put the, mm -hmm. try to reimagine it, yeah. but it, it was so big they actually couldn't, the, the, the floor wouldn't have taken it. Mm. So I suppose I should just thank uh, the Carlow Historical and Archaeological Society, Dermot Mulligan of Carlow County Museum, the County Councils of Carlow and Leash, the Leash Heritage Officer, Leash Heritage Society, National Monument Service for, for the work they did in this. And I think it's, it's a good news story, I think, in, in heritage. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. You can access the entire archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SendLoud, and Spotify.